the psalmist begins with this simple statement in Psalm 1. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So my question for us today is, who do you walk with? Who, who do you walk with? Who do you, who do you spend time with? Remember, walking was the, the preferred means of transportation back in the day, right? Everywhere you went, you walked. And I would suspect that as you walked, you, you had conversations. And you learned about each other. Not only did you, you hear and receive from others, you, you also shared about who you were. And so the Scripture tells us quite simply, how blessed is the man that doesn't walk with those who bring counsel of wickedness. So, who do you walk with today? The Scripture alludes to, throughout Scripture, that as we walk with those who are wise, as we walk with those who are good, we become like they are. The wise walk with the wise, the good Walk with the good. So, who do you walk with today? And so, as we come to the end of our series on broken, as we come to the end of exploring this beautiful passage out of Micah, we come to this truth that we are to walk humbly with God. Do you walk with God? Do you walk humbly with Him? Now there's a story of a preacher who had spent hours in his study and had had crafted what he called the most wonderful sermon on humility. But as he gathered on that Sunday morning to preach and deliver that sermon... He decided that it was so good he needed a bigger crowd and would wait till later to preach it. Humility, walking with God, they all go together. And they go together in a way that we must discern and understand how to walk humbly with God as we do justice and as we love mercy and kindness. As we've talked about over these weeks, our world is a broken world. And we've told throughout these weeks stories of brokenness. We've experienced brokenness. We we have seen brokenness devastate the lives of those that we love. We've seen brokenness impact our world and our community. Brokenness from those that we would expect better from. I'll never forget one summer I had uh, had been doing youth work in Broken Arrow for, uh, it wasn't much more than a year, and I became acquainted with a, a new youth minister, and, and our wives knew each other, and so that created a connection, and we began to talk with each other and develop a friendship and a relationship with one another, so much so that we decided that we would come together and partner during our week at Falls Creek. He had a cabin that was too big for his youth group, and I had a cabin that was too small for mine. And so we worked out an arrangement where I could send some teenagers over to to his cabin for the week, and we 
did some fun and activities and devotional things together. And it was just a rich and joy-filled summer of camp as, as I had a chance to share that ministry with, with a fellow minister, with a peer. And as we came back, we began to talk about ways we could continue to partner and work together. And then I'll never forget the afternoon I received the phone call. And he was a broken man. And he began to say, wait, I, I need to share something with you. He said, my, my wife came home from lunch the other day and caught me with a woman that I had been having an affair with. And not only have I lost my ministry and my wife, and I'm broken before God. I just needed to call and let you know to be praying for me. You see, there's brokenness all over the world. There's brokenness all over our lives, our relationships. There's brokenness in our churches. The Scripture puts it this way about our broken world in Romans 3. It says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who is good. There is not even one. We live in a broken world. And we have been asking this question over and over again. How are we to live in this broken world? And we have sought the wisdom of Scripture and of Micah and of Jesus Himself. And Micah 6.8, as we have heard, as we have memorized, as we have have paraphrased as we have put it into our own words and actions. Micah 6.8 says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? Isaiah 1, verses 16-17, through 17, I think summarize this idea of justice for us when the prophet says to cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, reprove, stand up to, correct the ruthless, defend the orphan, and plea for the widow. This is how we do justice in this broken world. And we must be committed to this activity and this action and this discipline. But Micah continues and he says it's not just about doing justice, but it's doing justice in the context of loving grace and mercy and kindness. And in Psalm 51, verse 1, David in his beautiful confession before the Lord says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your hesed, your mercy, according to your love and your kindness and your grace and your loyalty. I've messed up, but God, oh, that you would continue to be faithful and show that mercy and kindness to me. Yet justice and mercy are incomplete in and of themselves. You see, in the Christian tradition, Justice and mercy uniquely come together as we walk humbly with God. 
Jesus calls this faithfulness. As we walk faithfully with God, we are to practice justice, practice loving kindness and mercy. And I would suggest that much harm has been done for the cause of Christ for those or by those who have sought to do justice and mercy and yet have not walked humbly with God. So where do we start? How do we begin this this process of understanding what does it mean to be humble before God? What, What is humility? What does it mean to walk humbly? My suggestion is that we begin with Jesus. That we begin with the one who emptied himself by becoming a man and who humbled himself by being obedient to his Father even to the point of death and death on the cross. That we look at Jesus who said this, who said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble Because theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, when we are poor in spirit, we know and experience the kingdom of God and the presence of God in ways that are not possible when we are filled with pride and with arrogance. In the Beatitudes, Jesus continues and He says, Blessed are those who mourn. For they will find comfort. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they will receive mercy. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is relationship and connection with God in deep and intimate ways. Notice that Scripture says that we are the ones who are to be humble. Individually, we, I am to be humble. And our work and task is not to humble others. Some of us enjoy doing that, don't we? We enjoy humbling. Maybe we enjoy humiliating others. Why? Because that lifts us up. That makes us feel better about ourselves. And that is the opposite of Christian humility. You see, humility is the work of God. And when we try to humble others, we are in danger of elevating ourselves to a place of pride and judgment over them. We do not need to lift ourselves up by tearing others down. So what does it look like as we begin to walk humbly with God? Well, first of all, I don't think that humility is self-abnegation, is self-loathing. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Rick Warren added to this idea when he said, humility is thinking more of others. Humility means that we need to know ourselves. And the word I would use instead of pride or arrogance 
is that we should be rightly confident in our abilities, in our giftedness, in knowing who we are, but we should also recognize our own brokenness, our own inabilities, our own limitations. Humility knows the right time to step up and take the lead and the right time to step back and to let others lead. But we struggle with a, a sense of false humility too when we, when we step back and we're never willing to allow God to use our giftedness in appropriate ways. Humility understands that self-sacrifice is not this idea of self-loathing or self-abnegation. Humility considers serving before being served, giving before receiving, although part of a humble walk with God is learning how to receive and how to receive graciously and thankfully from God and from others. Humility means that we love before being loved. It means seeking forgiveness and forgiving before being forgiven. Humility understands that loving ourselves is not in conflict with loving others. The second, I think, idea or thought about humility that I want us to consider today is that humility is founded in God's grace. To walk humbly with God signifies right relationship with self and with God. God is God and we are not. God is holy and God is without sin and we are not. Yet through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God extends His grace. And He extends His salvation. And we must receive and believe His act within our lives. His gift within us. You see, through His grace, we are brought into relationship with God. And through His grace and through the work of Christ on the cross, we are declared righteous and holy before God. And therefore, God invites us to walk in that grace. To walk in that holiness and righteousness that is not ours, but is given to us by God through Christ. So in, in Colossians Chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says to the believer that as we received Christ Jesus by faith through grace, by grace through faith, excuse me, so we are to walk in Him by grace through faith. We're to walk humbly with thanksgiving. And because we walk with God, we walk in wisdom to do justice and to love mercy in this place. Finally, we walk humbly with God because we cannot know the impact of God's mercy and grace in our lives or in the lives of others. There's mystery about grace. There's mystery about God's work in transformation in our lives. You, you've heard the saying, but by the grace of God go I. It seems to me that this is a, an attitude of humility. It recognizes the reality of our own brokenness, but also the work of justice and mercy in our lives. 
We must be careful to embrace this attitude because it is the essence of our humility and of our walk with God. When we live outside of the grace and the humility of God, we must beware. For the destruction of pride is near. I'll never forget that as I was visiting with Ray, as he was sharing his brokenness, as he was sharing the power, the destructive nature of sin in his life, he made this statement to me. He said, I never thought, I never thought that I would be an adulterer. I never thought that I would be an adulterer. Never in a million years would I have planned or wanted to cheat on my wife. And yet here I am. How many of us, how many of us can relate to Ray in this moment? How many of us have approached life with with a pride and an arrogance. And we've looked at sin and the the brokenness and sin of others, and we've said to ourselves, I would never do that. I'd never be caught in that sin. God, let them have it. How could they get themselves in that mess? How could they do that to their spouse, to their church, to their boss? How could they do that? And the reason that we do those things is because we allow our pride and our self-sufficiency to, to, to build up within us so that we are not prepared and ready to face the temptations and the arrows of who the Scripture says that we have an enemy who's prowling about seeking to destroy us. And if we do not learn to walk humbly with God, then we too will find ourselves in the jaws of its destruction and of its death. When we proclaim, but by the grace of God go I, we are reminded of our own weakness and of our own vulnerability to sin. This is a confession of our brokenness, and of our powerlessness to defeat and confront sin on our own. It is the realization that without the daily graces of God, that we too would be living under the bondage of sin, and the addictions of sin, and the brokenness of sin. And it's only by the grace of God that any of us have experienced any level of redemption, of healing, and of new life. Only by the grace of God do we find any experience or any opportunity, any chance of victory that we can continue the next day and the next week. And it's only by the grace of God that as we suffer that defeat, as as that addiction, as that sin and brokenness continues to pull us back It's only by God's grace that again and again and again that we can find healing and restoration and redemption and the ability to begin a new day. 
but we must be careful. Because I can't tell you how many times that I have heard people say, by the grace of God, go I. And they say it with a twisted, prideful position as a way to condemn others and to justify their own righteousness. You see, there is much that we don't understand about God's grace. There is much that we do not understand about the mystery of His redemption and His interaction in our lives. And there is much that we do not understand about the power of sin and the cycles of poverty and oppression and addiction, especially as it relates to our family systems. Last Sunday morning, there were several Sunday school classes that gathered in Halleck Hall. As we heard from No Boundaries International, as they talked about some of the relief effort that they, they do, particularly on the behalf of women in, in, uh, in disaster areas in, in Africa, they shared about some work that they were doing in, in Haiti, in addressing the issue, the international issue of human trafficking, and the oppression of women in certain cultures and places. They're headquartered out of Oklahoma City. They were just kind of tooling along, enjoying life, certainly invested in significant and transforming ministry when they were received an email or a letter one day asking them that amidst all their wonderful work, when were they going to do something about human trafficking in the Oklahoma City area? As Mike has told us, this is a justice issue. It's a justice issue that we should show mercy and kindness towards and that we should walk humbly with God in. They became aware of of the issues of human trafficking in our own community, of the plight of, of young women who were bought and sold into this slavery. The average age of a a woman coming into prostitution is not a woman, is about 11 or 12 years old. She shared the story, or in there, they gave a, a devotional guide out. That we might be praying and we might be learning more about what's going on. And in one of the journal entries, they shared the story of a young lady named Candy. Candy says, or told a story, that her parents began to pimp her out to sell her at the age of six. And one day when her father dropped her off at the corner for her to accomplish her day's work, He never came back to pick her up. No boundaries encountered Candy when she was in her late 20s. A veteran of the street corner for 23 years. A six-year-old girl trapped, enslaved in human trafficking. 
for all of her life. Robbed of the innocence of her childhood. Deprived of the excitement and joy of her teenage years. A young lady with no opportunities to go to college to pursue the dreams of a young woman out of high school or college. A 29-year-old lady who all of her life had been exploited by her parents, used by her pimps, abandoned by her father. But by the grace of God, go you and I. You see, this is not a statement of pride and of judgment and condemnation that we offer towards others. When we proclaim to others in the midst of our own brokenness, in the midst of our own redemption and transformation, by the grace of God go I, it is a position of humility before a gracious and loving God who is seeking to redeem and save and transform us. And we must not ever forget that. And we must not ever allow ourselves to be removed from that position of humility before God. And because of God's grace towards us, because of God's grace and loving kindness and His mercy towards us, we have an opportunity, a responsibility, a commission to go into the world and to do justice and to love mercy and to bring the rays and the candies of this world into a relationship of humility and love and reception from God. We live in a broken world. And because we still struggle with our own brokenness, and because the world around us is broken and we are, are, are impacted by that brokenness each and every day, we must walk humbly with God, doing justice, because there is evil and oppression, and loving mercy, this is what is good. And this is how we must live in our broken world. So as we finish this morning, as we take our nap this afternoon, as we go to the office tomorrow, well, some of you don't have to go to the office tomorrow. As you go to the office on Tuesday, how will you do justice? How will you love kindness and mercy? How will your humility before God in walking with Him impact the way you live your life? Let us be faithful. Let us walk humbly. Let us do justice and love mercy because the world around us desperately needs to see and to experience and to find this in God and through us. Let's pray.